Please turn with me in your scriptures to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 20. Um, We will read all 21 verses, or the first 21 verses of Exodus 20, but our focus will be specifically on the third commandment. So hear the word of the Lord beginning in Exodus 20, verse 1. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his master or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. When the people saw the thunder and the lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain and smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. The people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Holy Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the law. We thank you for these Ten Commandments that remind us of how we are to live before you. Or change us by your word. Give us your spirit today to open our ears, to open our eyes, so that we may know you and see you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today I'm going to be looking at the language from uh, the King James and the ESV of this uh, particular commandment. Nothing wrong with the translation that the NIV has uh, that uh, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God does capture part of the sense of the language that most of us are used to, having grown up with the King James. Um, But I will be looking at the language from, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. In the book Pathway to Freedom, Alistair Begg tells the story of a theology student in Scotland in 1697. In the end of the 17th century, Scotland had reaffirmed its laws against blasphemy, and this student was tried, convicted, and executed for the sin of taking the name of the Lord his God in vain. Now, 
I don't tell that story. I'll echo the words of Alistair Begg. I do not tell that story in order to call for uh, blasphemy being made a um, capital crime in our society, but I tell that story to kind of give us a sense of how far we have fallen in the last two to three hundred years. From 1697 to 2017, we have gone to executing people for taking the name of the Lord our God in vain to cursing and blasphemy being a regular occasion on TV and movies and even sometimes in our very own lives. But what I also want us to see is that the third commandment, while it does condemn the usage of foul language, it does go farther and deeper into our hearts and our lives. This commandment, like all commandments, has a spiritual application as well as a verbal or a physical application. And today what we're going to do is we're going to look at the main words of this commandment, the word take, the words, the name of the Lord, the word in vain. We'll touch on the sanction of this commandment, and then we'll look at some real life applications of this particular commandment. So the first word I want us to look at as we consider the commandment is this word, take. You shall not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Now typically, as I mentioned, when we think of this commandment, the first thing that pops into our mind is language that we are sometimes tempted to use or that we hear used in the world around us. And while take does include that, it really means so much more. This word take literally means to bear or to carry. Think of a box that you would pick up. You would take the box from one side of the room to the other or from one area of the warehouse and load it onto the truck. That's the same idea that we have here with this commandment. The idea is to bear or to carry the name of the Lord. Places such as Numbers 6, 27, Deuteronomy 28, 10, Daniel 9, 18 and 19, and Revelation 13, 6 tell us that the people of God bear the name of God. One of the more familiar places that we see this is in 2 Chronicles 7, 14. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face, the Lord will hear them when they repent of their sin. But the point that I want us to see is that the people of God bear or take upon themselves the name of God. Think of the nation of Israel. The word Israel itself is made up of two, piece, two words, Isra and El, that mean he who wrestles with God. So the nation of Israel even takes upon themselves in their national name, the name of God. How about us? Do we take upon ourselves the name of God? What do we call ourselves when we say that we have accepted Christ as our Lord and Savior through faith and through grace? We call ourselves Christians, do we not? We take upon ourselves the name of God. Well, what is that name of the Lord that we take upon ourselves? Specifically, the commandment refers to the covenant name that God revealed to Moses in Exodus 3. Moses says, who shall I tell the people is bringing that who shall I tell has given me this message. And God says, 
I am who I am, or I will be who I will be. It's that personal name of God that he places upon the Israelites. It's the name that reveals God's personal relationship with his people. It's a name that reveals to us that he is the eternal God, the infinite God, the self-sufficient God, the self-existent God. It reveals to us his power and his mercy. We carry that name upon ourselves. We bear that name before our families, before our friends, and before the world. But more broadly than just God's name, we are told in Proverbs 18.10, that says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and and are safe. Psalm 74.18 says, Remember how the enemy has mocked you, O Lord. How foolish people have reviled your name. We not only bear the name of the Lord, but the Scripture equates God's name with Him. When we take the name of the Lord, we take Him as well. We are not only bearers of His name, but we are bearers of God Himself as people who call themselves the people of God. So we take, we take the name of the Lord and we are told not to take the name of the Lord in vain. If you've been in church any length of time, we typically think of the word vain in context of the book of Ecclesiastes, where life is said to be vanity of vanities or life is said to be meaningless. This is a little bit different word that is used here in this particular passage. And while meaningless is wrapped up in the definition, there's also the idea of evil or falsehood. The idea is tarnishing the name of God, making the name of God meaningless, making the name of God false, making the name of God to be evil. Narrowly, this can be applied to using God's name as a curse word. How many times have you heard people very flippantly call for the condemnation of God to fall upon another person or to fall upon an inanimate object? Very flippantly do we use God's name in a very evil and false way. But broadly, what this commandment tells us to not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Very broadly, it tells us that any time a person who bears the name of God, any time that person acts or speaks in a way that is not godly, in a way that is not holy, in a way that does not glorify the Lord, our God and Father above, we are making God's name meaningless. We are making God's name false. We are making God's name evil. What is the sanction that is attached here? The catechism says the reason annexed to the third commandment is that however the breakers of this commandment may escape punishment from men, Yet the Lord our God will not suffer them to escape his righteous judgment. You know what? We can get away with language a lot. We can get away with tarnishing the name of God daily, minute by minute, moment by moment. And we think we have escaped judgment. But Paul tells us in Romans that God is stacking up a judgment against those who do not repent. And God will ultimately judge those who take his name in vain. 
What are some applications that we can see of this particular commandment of not making God's name which we bear meaningless or evil? I want to look at three non-language related areas where we can apply this to our lives. And these come from a Dutch theologian. I'm going to butcher the name here, but Joachim Duma. He identifies three ways in God's words, which we still use today to take God's name in vain. The first is the idea of sorcery, using God's name as a spell or an incantation to do what we want or to get what we want. Throughout the Old Testament law, they were told multiple times to not associate themselves with sorcerers, to not commit the sin of sorcery. It was a capital punishment. But we have a tendency as well to use God's name or a spell as a spell or an incantation to get what we want. Roughly 20 years ago, a book was published that made its way through Christian uh, bookstores and through the church called the Prayer of Jabez. It's an obscure, taken from obscure passage in the book of Chronicles. A man by the name of Jabez in the genealogies of the book of Chronicles is said to have prayed a certain prayer and God was said to have blessed him because he prayed that prayer. And the point of the book was if you pray this prayer this specific way and have just enough faith, God will give you everything you want. It's sorcery. It's taking the name of the Lord our God in vain. We have people that oftentimes are on TV, and I'm not, I'm not slamming every TV personality, every TV preacher, because there are a lot of good preachers on TV as well, but there are a lot of preachers on TV today that tell us if you just pray the right way or just have the right amount of faith, God will give you what you want. That's sorcery. It's taking the name of the Lord our God in vain. The second area in which Duma identifies is false prophecy. Jeremiah dealt with prophets. He would, Jeremiah would go into the king and say, Thus saith the Lord. And these prophets would come behind him and say, No, thus saith the Lord, and give the exact opposite prophecy. If Jeremiah prophesied doom upon the city of Jerusalem, these prophets would prophesy prosperity for the city of Jerusalem. And Moses in the law, God through Moses in the law revealed that false prophets were to be executed. God takes his name very seriously. I hope you, you see that through this, this particular commandment. But false prophecy is a way in which we take the name of the Lord our God in vain. We must be very careful with what we read because not only do a lot of books that we buy um, use sorcery, but they also give us false prophecy. Think of the last Christian book you read and take out all the references to Scripture and take out all the references to Jesus and all the references to God from that book. Does the book change significantly? Good. If it does, I see some of you nodding your head. Yes, um, we should Christian books. If you remove Christ from Christian books, they should fall apart. But many Christian books today you could take all that stuff out and you would not lose the message of the book. It's false prophecy. Have you ever had somebody come to you and say, you know what, God told me to X. Have you ever had somebody come to you and say, God told me to tell you X. 
Whenever somebody comes to us and say, God told me, we need to reference that against Scripture and make sure that it agrees with what God says. Philip Ryken tells the story of a, of a pastor that he knows, or that he knew, former pastor, that came to him and said, God told me to leave my wife and marry this other woman. You think God really told him that? Or maybe that was an angel of light. Or the, the devil masquerading as an angel of light. We must be careful that we don't use God's name to promote lies. And finally, the third area is swearing false oaths. We look at Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount where he says, let your yes be yes and let your no be no. And oftentimes people take that to translate it to say we should not make promises, we should not take oaths at all. But that's not what Jesus is saying there. If we reference other passages in the Gospels where Jesus says, you know, you, you, you dedicate things to God so that you can violate the commandment, honor your father and your mother. These things are Corban. These are th my money is totally dedicated to God so that I don't have to take care of my parents when they're old. Jesus says you're taking the name of the Lord our, your God in vain. He says you swear by the temple. But it's God that makes the temple holy. So when you swear by the temple, you're actually swearing by God. But you swear by the temple so you can get out of it thinking it's not as big of an oath as if I swore by God. You swear by the altar or you swear by what's on the altar, forgetting that it's the altar that makes that holy. It's God that makes the altar holy. And Jesus then says, let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. If we make oaths, whether it's, I promise to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth, or whether it's the oath of I do. Whenever we make oaths, no matter what we make them by, as the people of God, we are making them by God's name. And God expects us to keep his oaths. So the three areas of application are sorcery, false prophecy, and swearing false oaths. Question 55, which we read earlier, says, what is forbidden in the third commandment? The third commandment forbid, forbids all profaning or abusing of anything whereby God makes himself known. According to Genesis 1, what are we as humans? We're the image of God, are we not? Which means that every human being in a way bears the name of God. Every human being is called to live a life that does not tarnish, misuse, make meaningless, or make false the name of God. And the reality is we fail miserably at that. Sometimes my yeses, sometimes our yeses become noes, sometimes our noes become yeses. I'm sure every one of us in this room is guilty of saying, you know what, God told me something that God didn't tell me. And each of us at some time or another have sat there in our prayers thinking, if I just say the right words, God will give me what I ask for. And I know you're saying, Ike, don't even get started on language. Many of you, not all of you. One person has done that. One person in the history of this world has borne the name of God perfectly. And his name was Jesus. He did not think equality with God something to be grasped, and he took on the form of the servant, becoming obedient even to the point of death, so that you and I 
might be covered with the fact that he never took God's name in vain. That every action he did glorified God. That every action he did showed God to be true, showed God to be meaningful, and showed God to be glorious. And we embrace that message through faith. If you're a member of this church, you've answered this question or, or a form of this question. It says, do you promise to trust in the guidance and strength of the Holy Spirit so that you can live all of life as a Christian following the example set by Jesus Christ? In Acts chapter 11, we are told that the church of Antioch was the first group of people to be called Christians. It was a derogatory term more than likely, but it literally meant Christ-like ones. And we have worn that name as a badge since then. As we walk around our homes, as we walk around our jobs, as we walk around Kroger or Walmart or wherever we walk around in this world, where people know that we are Christians, where people know that we claim to be Christ-like ones, does our life reflect the glory of God? Or the fact that we think he's meaningless and false and evil. We're called to give him glory with our lives. We're called to live daily in the pre- knowing that we are in the presence of God and seeking his glory. Do we? I don't always. I would hazard a guess that y'all don't either. And yet Christ has taken that sanction on our behalf. It doesn't give us an excuse to continue living that way. It doesn't give an excuse to continue making God's name meaningless and false. It gives us the strength to get a little bit better each day, each moment, at giving Him the glory, not just with our voice, not just with our words, but with our entire life. The Holy Spirit is working on each and every one of us to remake us in the image of that perfect man. And he will see that work to completion when Christ returns. Yes, we are all guilty of taking the name of the Lord our God in vain. And yet, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Let us pray. Our gracious name and Father, our gracious God and Father, we seek to glorify your name. We seek to bear it well. And yet we fail. God, help us by the power of the Spirit. Help us to work out carrying your name well, glorifying you and showing the world that you are meaningful, you are good and you are glorious. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.